Jeff Bezos wants to go to fucking Mars. Like, how insane is that loss of imagination? That, like, in everything that the world is happening right now, he thinks, I'd rather go to space. Like, that's so brain dead. <laughs> like, that's so mm -hmm. loss of any kind of, like, observance, attention, imagination to the beauty of what's happening here. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. So this is a continuation <laughs> of the last episode because we've been having a lot of these long conversations recently. Um, and in this episode, we're going to get into a little bit more of the place. That was actually what we had intended to talk about from the very mm. beginning. And then we got into like a whole, <laughs> you know, we got mired in a whole bunch of topics, So, which is great. I love those types of conversations. I yeah. really love those conversations that are about everything <laughs> at the same time. Um, but yeah, let's just get into it. I, re I really want to know where you made the leap from you know seminary to real estate agent mm. like yeah some more of that, concretely yeah. you know sure yeah some of that is pretty personal i'm mean, okay. to do with health stuff i've been dealing with some health stuff recently gotcha um, part of it was mental health part of it is physical right there's some parts of my body that have been changing so i needed to um one make more money <laughs> mm -hmm. and boy in real estate man everyone makes money um yeah but also i'm like <laughs> I know like all of the problems that I care about, all the Wikipedia pages that I leave open in tabs on my on my Chrome browser, like when I'm supposed to be doing other work. They have to do with things that come back to the way the crises that we're facing intersect with the built environment. 40% mm. of our greenhouse gases come from the built environment, right? The ways in which um, segregation will remain um, based on the layout of neighborhoods and the ways one direction streets are planned more going into neighborhoods of people of color than going out right like things like that that there's so many things that are invisible to us um, at the scale of human experience that we perceive the world in um, and you have to use systems like um, like new systems that are coming online around big data that are helping us understand some of the ways in which um, our policies and our, our practices are performing at a, at a city level um, that kind of stuff is really exciting to me and the policy world as i studied at swarthmore um, just feels pretty narrow. Um, yeah. And it and really feels hard like the to, built... like, have that creative energy, right? And and I'll be yeah. honest, real estate is a yeah. bad fit for me. It's straight up a bad fit. But it's the <laughs> it's the work that I know gives creative space to the kinds of things that I'm hoping. And by hoping, I mean that word that has nothing to do with optimism because the trajectory is bad. But I'm hoping can become something that like when either of you or if either of you are in the market to buy, you can buy with a real option towards cooperative or um, land trust or whatever it looks like to let your money work for a community and not just be going yeah. straight into the pockets of the wealthy developers who run the cities. I mean, so how do you know like how that transition happens? Because I definitely have thought about, you know, wanting to get a house and like have it be cooperative with like right. me and my friends. Right. But like from a legal standpoint or just like, you know, figuring out how to make that actually happen, it feels like there's not a super obvious playbook yeah. that's out in the world, in the mainstream. Sure. You know? So one friend actually who's in town, she invited us up to her family's place in Squirrel Island in Maine. It's a really nice place. Very yeah. wealthy, very white neighborhood. Um, and we had these really mm -hmm. cool conversations with them about reparations and things. They're, you know, they're doing their diligence towards like understanding their history. But one of the things that I thought was pretty cool is it's a cooperative. Um, mm -hmm. LLC on the island, right? If you want to yeah. own property on the island, you buy shares from the company. Um, 
and you are given a 99 year lease on the property that your family purchased right at the purchase price it gives you a certain number of shares and like a few years ago like back in the 80s they um one of the members of reagan's staff was invited up and he helicoptered up um and like was like oh i love this island i want to stay i want to i want to buy in and they're like okay sure you can stay um, and he's like but i'd like a helicopter pad and then the community was like no and they all voted him down Absolutely because not. it's a co-op right because it's a collective so that's how white people protect themselves mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what i want to learn right <laughs> I'm, I'm studying how wealthy white people use the law and use the systems use the cops um and what are the ways in which proximally right now as we're staring at a climate apocalypse and the things that are like knocking on our door like how are how, how can we structure things that will give people more resilience and safety um, in ways that the world can understand as we workshop and figure out things that might be more um, sustainable in the holistic sense in the long term. Um, but I mean, approximately, I'm just trying to learn the the field, right? I'm just trying like, to actually be good yeah. at this and be competent and not be a fool and like yeah. throw people's money away. Um, and I want at the very basic level to like give people the ease of mind of like, look, I can at least get you in contact with your block captain. And recommend some resources if you're trying to learn how to be a good city dweller and be a good neighbor to the people who are near you and not a gentrifying asshole. Like there are there are low there's low hanging fruit and there's really difficult stuff. Um, and I'm trying to get the low hanging fruit like really accessible, just be the core base of my business. Um, and the, the bigger mm-hmm. stuff is going to take collaboration. And honestly, I do not think I can be a leader on some of this stuff because it requires the kinds of insight that I just don't have. Um, but I want to show up for those conversations. Because the Built environment feels like it is harder and harder to change Mm -hmm. every year, right? Because like I remember I was talking recently with this woman who is part of a co-op in L.A. And they're all sort of disbanding because of the everything be on fire. But um, I was asking her like, (laughs) dude, how did you even get the money to do a Mm -hmm. co-op? Right. And, you know, back in whatever the 80s. And she was like, well, land was dirt cheap. Like anyone could do it, basically. Right. (laughs) Right? And it's like, it doesn't feel like that reality exists or will ever exist again, basically. Well, that's what I'm saying is where this is where learning to observe, to be attentive to what's really performing on the ground. So like I live in a neighborhood that's extremely, I love this neighborhood, but there are a lot of problems. There was a shooting down at the end of the block. The 30 shots were fired a block away from my house. And it breaks my heart because that's the kind of stuff that everyone assumes about this neighborhood and it's just it's such a joyful celebratory place i love the people who are here um at the same time those kinds of things can be the kind of cover that might be needed for people to be safe here does that make sense like having cooperatives no for people to live without the fear of gentrification or the fear of a developer coming in and taking um yeah those are the things that keep like gentrifying rich right i I don't want to romanticize i don't want to make light of the seriousness of some of the things affecting the neighborhood but i am saying that it's become so incredibly difficult to resist capital in a realistic sense right without just being an idealist who makes a lot of money and can afford to experiment in the way that you want which i'll be honest that's what my experience at the farminary was it was an experiment it was elite it was boutique um and that's just not what happens in neighborhoods like mine and I want I want the I want the systemic things to start now so that in 50 years they can mature. Um, and I want to support those things. If that means running interference in the background, right, and working with all the bureaucracy and making sure that no one gets in the way of what people on the ground are doing, I'm fine. 
with that. I mean, that's that's what I'm committing to. And I think that might be a lot of my place, right? Because I do have facility with words, with documents, with the bureaucracy of the city in a way that can be really helpful to what people are on the ground don't want to be focusing their time on. Um, and a good, great example is like Turning Red just came out, right? People are making a big deal about how the like um, Asian American women who were in the production team like were able to call the shots. What I'm interested in is like the kind of work culture that's evolved at Pixar that made it possible for them to not be interfered with, right? That John Lasseter wasn't ultimately the executive producer. Like someone was cutting him off. Um, and that's meaningful, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it was just them. Yeah. Maybe it was just them doing that. But it does imply to me a system that gave them cover, a system that gave them protection so that they could focus their energies on what they do best. So do you work for a firm or are you in business for yourself? So salespeople work for themselves, but they have to have a broker. The broker is the where their license is kept. So my broker is Keller Williams. They're definitely not a broker that I would, uh, uh, I wouldn't put my life in their hands, but um, I will say they, they, <laughs> they, um, they train well. And that's why I've gone with them is because the training, I, I want to be good at this at the very rudiments so that I'm not offering a shitty product to people who are trying to invest their life in a place right i do want to be good at that um in order to in order to be good at the other stuff you have to be a good now there's serious i'm I'm giving serious thought to the question of becoming a broker myself of setting up a business where other people could come in and work from whatever position they are at bettering the built environment in their neighborhoods i'm talking to different capital groups in the neighborhood a lot of them are run by people of color who are trying to be community first and being holistic um we're talking like mega like millionaire developers who live in their neighborhoods, they're black, and they're trying to rebuild the cultural centers and the avenues and the neighborhoods that have been um, steadily destroyed, over the, you know, especially since the 80s. Um, there's some really cool people doing, doing things like that. Um, and I'm trying to network with more of them, get to know them, see, see what their um, horizons, what their trajectories are, and how I, how I can be a part of it in a, in a healthy way. Yeah, because there's two things that I think about when um, I think about this like particular issue of of space in right. Philadelphia. Um, do you know um, the Poor People's Army? Um, like uh, Barber? Uh, Maybe not. It's, Tell me more. I don't know if it, are, is that who you're saying is like the person associate you associate yeah, with it. Reverend Barber is he the leader of it? Maybe I really am very new. I just like basically attend an orientation and that's it. Okay. But it seems like what they're doing is they're trying to basically move people into empty homes mm. who are, you know, basically I think using squatters rights. Right. And um good idea. It's it's essentially the from what I understand, it's all homes that are owned by the Philadelphia Housing Authority. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly why they're empty in the first place. Like mm-hmm. why, you know, if they obviously if they ha- own these homes, like why aren't they filling them with people? I don't know the answer to that question. But like that seems to be like one mm. solution offered, For right? Sure. To to one of these these major questions in right. Philadelphia. And I'm still quite uh not sure whether or not I feel as if that in of itself is sort of a like a a solution that I feel like is hopeful because I do wonder whether or not it can like really pressure you know the mm-hmm. the housing authority to change something about what they're doing or if it's basically like going to end up in a lot of these people just getting evicted in a year mm-hmm. right and like maybe causing potentially yeah, more trauma. Older story in Philadelphia, stuff like this has has been attempted. 
Right. It's had rough endings. Yeah. And the, you know, the the documentary, there, there's a documentary made about this group by like Bruce Springsteen, like Holy 30 shit. years ago. Like they've been around for like 30 years. <laughs> oh, and- <laughs> I, yeah. So if this is an older group, yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so like I... I'm just like wading into it. I have no clue Mm -hmm. really like, you know, I, 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 it's hard for me to get a sense of like the real efficacy because I haven't Mm -hmm. met any of these people that they've actually moved into homes or anything like Mm -hmm. that. Um, but like, that's, that's one of the things I think about. And then, you know, I, I also have a friend who works at, um, the National Fair Housing Alliance and they just had a lawsuit against Fannie Mae actually, which is where I currently work until the end of the month. And it's been a 10 year long running lawsuit, right? Jesus. They just ended it, right? And they had like a huge party and they got like millions of dollars. And the lawsuit was over. Basically, they were suing Fannie Mae for not maintaining the homes that they foreclosed upon in black neighborhoods as well as the homes they foreclosed upon in right. white neighborhoods, thus yeah. like lowering the yeah. value of the surrounding property, yeah. right? Right. And so they won. They had like they had spent 10 years literally just flying around the country, taking pictures, talking to people, documenting mm-hmm. this whole phenomenon mm-hmm. to actually just prove it's happening. Right. Mm-hmm. And the thing that also doesn't sit well with me about it is the fact that, you know, none of those people who's, you know, they were arguing on all of these homeowners behalves, they're not going to get that money. Right. And if and they did right? try. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And also, if they did try to redistribute that money, even if they won, you know, Mm -hmm. potentially millions of dollars in this lawsuit, like everyone would be getting like probably on the scale of like a couple hundred bucks, which is like at what point? How is that even useful? Right. So, like, you know, and it's hard to gauge like what what is the cutoff for like whether or not you were really affected by this. Mm -hmm. And so the point is just that, like, I feel as if I see a lot of groups that are really intentioned, well intentioned in this space trying to do something right but like none of those things have ever seemed to me like demonstrably like yes this is definitely like doing something to move the needle yeah. right you know like yes that's, so that's gonna why, yeah that's why i'm working in the in in real estate right the yeah. people who build things all the time mm-hmm. um, like if i'm looking at who actually builds things it is developers now i I've read as much Marx as anyone else. I mm-hmm. This was a big focus of what I did in seminary. And a lot of my focus since has been on the sharing and distribution of value, right? The creation of massive amounts of value is wonderful. Yes, that's great. But let's distribute it to the people who actually do the work. Um, and that's the, that's the hope around like resisting developers, right? If developers can be, the analog can be to the robber barons of the early 20th century. The resistance yeah. was union organizing. If developers are running the cities now, as I see it, and they get everything they want from the council members, then the option would be some kind of collective organizing of land, Mm -hmm. of landowners, of people who occupy the places that we're trying to maintain and protect and grow and build. Yeah, That's the kind of stuff that I I don't know where it's going to go, but I, I... I have trouble thinking of anything else when I try to focus on anything else. You know, this is just such an appealing hope, you know, finally be at rest somewhere you belong with people Mm -hmm. who take care of you and you can let them be at rest too so that they can just take a break, you know, and not worry about their land being taken out from under. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, you've given like a lot of compelling examples of the you know, having to like leverage power within the shitty right. system in order to create these safe spaces, right? It's like what you were talking about with 
Pigeon Island. Is that what it's called? Pigeon Island? Squirrel Island. Um, right. Squirrel yeah, Island. Like white people place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other, the other, yeah, the white people place. Yeah, like, and I mean, co-ops wield this too, like leveraging literally the law. Because right. um, it seems like everything else is kind of destined to be a temporary band-aid, right? Like you were saying, Isabel, with, you know, perhaps these people after they've been squatting for a year, we'll just get kicked out and be in a worse situation right. than they were in before. But we want people with money yeah. to give up their money for the sake of a better thing, right? Like, and, and that's, that's the hard. thing that we're, I'm trying to build towards, right? Something where like everyone is like, holy shit, me holding onto my money is worse than this alternative that other people are building. I'd rather buy into that yeah. form of community, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's really hard. So have you... It is, yeah. <laughs> it is. Because it's hard to organize So have people. you made any... Have you made any sales? No, I just started this week. I'm telling you, I've like just started. Oh yeah, I just, just started. I passed the exam last week, last year, um, which is like what you need. But uh, I haven't even set up my social media, man. Because like this idea <laughs> of cover is serious. Like how do I perform on social media in a way that gets me sales and like lets me be a business person while also communicating to the people that I actually want to work with that like I can have right. interests at heart, right? It's, it's very true. Yeah. It is quite difficult running a business as an undercover capitalist, like as as I, I, like for me personally, and I'm sure that will probably be the case yeah. for you, right? Like I I seriously feel like I'm staring into the abyss and like diving head in. It's very scary. So I don't. I, this might yeah. be the last time you sound scary because so you because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna have you know you're gonna have like white rich families coming to you and being like. I want to buy a sick house and then I want to tear it down and or, or want to buy some right. land, tear it down and flip it, sell it to somebody else. Yeah. And you're going to be like, and you have to tell them no. But also you need that, you need that fat cash. I'm going to get that fat cash, but I'm going to use what I've been doing is like networking in our neighborhood face to face, right? The people that I know, yeah. who I want to, I want to um, make sure they're, they're being done well by, by the banks and by the, the systems that are just not, not treating this neighborhood the way it deserves. Um, because right. I, you know, as much privilege as I have, I, I can use those things in certain ways, right? And I do understand um, parts of how the policy of this can fit together. And, you know, who knows where this goes? It's just showing up every day and seeing, you know, I, I know enough to know that this needs to be worked on. And I know enough to know that yeah. like, this is stuff that I can work on. Um, so that's where I am. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm definitely interested to see how, like, that ends up working for you in practice oh my god <laughs> <laughs> you know this might be a one-year experiment and then i find something else that actually yeah. you know the people that i've actually been looking for who knows um because mm -hmm. i yeah. spent well, so much time focusing on what i believe right and now yeah. finally they're like this is a sphere where some of those things can really be owned shaped changed put to the test you know exposed um and we'll see what happens i don't know yeah, it's kind of where the yeah. rubber hits the road. Like right. right. And like let's be honest, Swarthmore gave me zero preparation for business other than like how to share ideas and like get to know people. Um, it's yeah. just not a field that, that Swatties go into. So. You're fucking private liberal arts schools. Useless. I mean yeah. you need a state school. <laughs> I did, it is yeah. <laughs> You need a state I like school. Tell you, like, I got I got classes in how to start a business and work in real estate. Write an agreement of sale. Yeah. Right. I got classes on what a contract are, right, right. not you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously, like, I definitely, so I've been, like, trying to start my business for the last, like, two years, and I've been kind of, like, 
you know, being kind of wishy-washy about it because, like, you know, I have a job that pays me super well that I have to keep, like, actively pushing away because <laughs> it's very golden handcuffs, right? <laughs> they, they want they you want so They bad. want, they really, I just, like, Swarthmore did optimize me to be, like, a fantastic worker for a Fortune 500 company. Like, and not at all. And it's, like, the, the part that I'm quite actually surprised by is how little I feel capable of, like, taking... What has collectively been like many years now of experience, like doing death care work and mm. like being becoming more familiar with the space, but like taking that sort of expertise and like the various skills that I have, especially because mm. like I, you know, I can do a lot of the like podcasting, marketing, design, right, all right. this stuff, but like I have so little idea of how to turn those things into money. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I need fat cash. Yeah, like, like <laughs> I kept, I kept for the longest time, I kept being like, oh my God, I'm going to do some like awesome death education center in the middle right. of Philly. I'll do a brick and mortar thing and people can come and learn about mm -hmm. advanced directives and it can be like a cafe space. It can be kind of like accessible and mm -hmm. welcoming to people who haven't like historically been able to get access to still lawyers. A and sick vision, Isabel. It's still right? great. And, yeah. and like medical people, right? And like do advanced directives. But like, you know, recently I was talking to a Muslim funeral director. He was like, that's not going to make money. Yeah. <laughs> people aren't going to pay for that. <laughs> if you want to cater to people <laughs> who are poor, like you you can't expect them to pay you a bunch of money enough for this to be a sustainable business. Like it just isn't, doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, damn, you're right. <laughs> right. I wouldn't give up so on you need it, a product for the, it, yeah. right? You, you need it. a product for the rich whites too. Well, that's the thing is like you, I, you, you know, you want to lower your expenses, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you want to be able to do something where you can like cater to all these rich people so that you can create your own little, you know, subsidization system where you can like, you know, funnel that yeah. money into like helping create access to poor people. Right. I don't but, know like, how much I believe in this. And look, I'm shooting myself in the foot because I'm going into real estate of all things. But I mm -hmm. want to offer an alternative <laughs> for the rich people too, right? Like mm -hmm. say, no, you are making a decision that you think has nothing to do with the ethics of place. But it does. Let me help you find an alternative. To do with right? Like yeah. you, you, you think it's impossible. This is just a transaction to you, but it's not. It's so much more. And you can right. live into that. And in it's that possible, way, right? And that way, maybe you want like the rich white family to come to you. And then either like through, you know, very like transparent means or through coercion, you can make them make a better decision. Well, and I don't even See, think it requires coercion. Jesus, Jesus does that shit all the time. <laughs> He's like, rich people come yes. and like, hey, you uh, owe reparations to like everyone you stole taxes from. You good with that? And the guy's like, yes, I'll pay it back. He's like, okay, great. You can hang. You're good. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Great. Chill out with us then. <laughs> and that's the thing is there and are then, a lot of people like that. There's plenty of people like guilty rich people. Like basically like you, it, it's really hard, I think, to live in today's environment and not see what's going mm -hmm. on. Right. I don't even mean guilt, though. I mean, literally, mm -hmm. you can have a better life in deeper community with more interesting things right. going on by giving away your need for isolation and safety and like all the things that wealth has built up as like the imaginary for what it means to be successful in America. Like I, I right. thoroughly believe that there are alternative ways of living that are superior to the ways that the only things that wealth, wealthy people have in their imagination. Jeff Bezos wants to go to fucking Mars. Like how insane is that loss of imagination that like in everything that the world is happening right now, he thinks I'd rather go to space. Like that's so brain dead like that's so mm -hmm. loss of any kind of like observance attention imagination of the beauty of what's happening here like if that's what what money gets you like oh my god we we will win the imagination battle every day 
Yeah. Every time. <laughs> um, <laughs> Isabel, I think we have two episodes here. You think so? What? I guess we have been recording at, for an hour and 38 minutes. <laughs> I'm, at, I'm at 100 minutes. Wow, yeah, of, y'all. 100 minutes. I told Wait, you, Wes, really this are... is going to be Joe Rogan. Oh, oh, okay. I, I should have eaten an edible, and then it would have it would have been shorter probably because I would have fallen asleep by now. Well, see, that's the thing is I feel as if we have episodes that are about a thing, right? And then we have episodes that are kind of about everything at the same time, right? right? I think think we have roughly two, I think we have roughly two topics that that we talked about. Yeah, I think you could do the faith. I think we talked about, you could split those. Exactly. I think we talked about faith and place. Mm. I think that we could split them up. We started out, I mean, when we were first talking It'll be a little bit hard. It'll, it'll be a hard split because we started out talking about mm-hmm. place and that and then that morphed into focusing on faith. Sp- yeah, and then we came back. Yeah, a yeah. faith conversation, which morphed back into yeah. a place conversation. Yeah. So, but I think there's a point. I think the point is probably when I said, I said something along the lines of, Wes, how do like, how does your, how do your beliefs on ecology right. of place, how did that tie into right. your faith? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was when we started talking yeah. about faith. Mm-hmm. But before that, we were talking about faith. And I'll be yeah. honest, I don't really know the answer to that question. I rambled through what I said, and it's just, I don't know what I believe. I know where I belong, yeah. right? And I just want to build places like that for more people, right? So more people can feel that sense of belonging. Because I just don't know how much belief matters to that. When you find that home, and people are like, got your back, it's like, oh man, that's, that's something deeper than belief. It doesn't really matter what's going on yeah. in my head when I can yeah. just take a day off and be with the people that I love, you know? Well, that's something that I really think through the exercise of doing this podcast however many times, you know, like, Ooh, you know, yeah. we're like 120 episodes now. Like, I really do feel like the older I have grown, the more, the, whenever I meet someone who has a really staunch, robust sense of like, I know this to be the truth. I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I see that basically as a form of immaturity now. It's like right? an immaturity, like a, yeah, I see. What you yeah. Mean. Right? Like, I do feel like, you know, everybody who has put, like, you know, a, a really intense level of thought into, like, trying to figure out what we believe in this, like, information environment, mm-hmm. in this, you know, space of just, like, there's so many conflicting things going on. It's, like, really impossible to hold them all in your head at the same time. Mm. I think it's quite difficult to be able to say this is the answer yeah. to these problems. Right. Yeah. Right? It is. Yeah. And passably naive, right? Because we yeah. do believe in the collective, right? The right. wisdom of the collective. And the world is so much more complex than we reduce it down to be, right? Yeah. Right. And it's, but it's, I mean, it's incredibly hard to engage with the mm-hmm. complexity. Yeah. You know, we, our last episode was about fucking AI. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I didn't listen yes. to it. I'll check it out. It's about, it's about AI and about like, you know, are we like, all going to be extinct Isabel's, in 40 years? Yeah. It's Isabel's <laughs> friend, Shantanu, like talking me off of a fucking ledge about being terrified of AI. Mm-hmm. And like this episode, we're like deep diving into like faith and how, and, and ecology of place and how like, you know, <laughs> certain places afford you certain things like we talked about 120 different not different but 120 different topics mm-hmm. and they're all very important and they all connect with each other and it's so hard that you can't you just like impossible to hold in your head at the same time right right yeah right <laughs> like think about think about like isabel you know like fucking where we had a really nice conversation about ecology of place today 
And then I think back to like, oh wait, our water infrastructure is fucked. We're I done. Know, like, the, what do you I mean? Know. Like, what do you like, okay, so so so, Wes, like, this is something. That, what about this our is something that, <laughs> So we had our friend Shane on to talk about water infrastructure. He works as uh in, at the for the water department in Baltimore, right? And he it's was shit. Yeah, telling us bad. about how literally the flooding's so coming. Bad. The flooding's coming. You know. Yeah. He was like, we don't know. Like when we put these pipes in, there were no buildings on top, right? We literally can't like do anything to maintain them given that there's buildings on them now. So we are literally going to let everything fall apart until we bulldoze everything. And then that's that's our solution to the problem. Like- oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and until then, we, we, it's easier to lay new plumbing that connects to old lines than it is to like do anything. We just, we just can't maintain anything. It's just too heavy with the buildings on top. It's literally impossible to like do anything uh, to those pipes. Right. Yeah. There's hundreds or thousands of miles of pipes just in the ground that are not being used anymore. They're just <laughs> in there because we can't take them out. Yeah. It's wild. It's just wild to think about how precarious of a situation we're in all the time. <laughs> right. Not to fuck with it even more, but like the amount of embodied carbon in all of those buildings that they're hoping to knock down. Yeah. That's going to fuck up the environment so much. Like, <laughs> but like yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, Shane also taught us about how like like seventy percent of New York's water comes from this one big pipeline that's like about really to fall and apart, really, <laughs> and like really, really needs to be like needs to be repaired. Oh, no. And he was like, "Yeah, you know, it really needs repairs, but it's really hard to repair. People almost always die when they try to repair it because it's really hard to access. It's literally just like a giant, like you know, football field sized pipe that like pushes water into the city." And they were like, they were like, when we like, designed it, it, it was supposed to have a little, <laughs> like, uh, what are those things called? Where you turn and then it closes it. A valve. Yes, it was supposed to have a yeah. valve that you could turn and close it so you could maintain it. But then there was so much pressure when they actually right. opened it that they the could never close it. To, to break. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's shit. And <laughs> so what's probably going, what, what likely will have to happen is that the pipe fails, like all of brooklyn loses water for for like, like two, two years, years. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have to fix it so that those people can have water in two years <laughs> yeah okay like i haven't seen the movie don't look up but this just sounds like episode two of don't look up yeah like, damn it <laughs> Like, we I really, just don't know. We don't really, know. really yeah. fucked ourselves in a really big way, man. It's yeah. so bad out here. But yeah, we need to have hope, which is not the same as optimism. Right. <laughs> there's not a whole lot of reasons for optimism. Okay, so we're back. Uh, this is the end of the second episode with Wes. Um, it's weird because this is all the same recording session, but um, Wes, I'm going to ask you another question that, let's see, I'm going to think of right now. Um, <laughs> what is, when you think of like the cuisine genre of food that like mm. feels most like comforting to you, what is it? Mexican. Mexican food. Yeah. Everything, queso fundido, tacos, everything. Oh my god! I this Mexican <laughs> restaurant just opened under the L stop near our house, um, and it looks like, like the L stop right there. It, it's the Somerset train stop, and it's pretty insane. There's like people passed out on the sidewalk. There's fires. There's yeah. burnings. Like it's really hairy. 
Um, but then under the I'll stop, there's like these Encanto colors of flags, like bursting yeah. from this brand new restaurant that just opened. It's the chief chef from El Rey. It's called Cantina La Martina and the food is spectacular. I got lengua tacos the other day. Oh my God. I, I, I could go lengua tacos. That, that's hard to get right. It is. And that this guy knows what he's doing. They don't have a liquor license right now. So you can ask for a margarita and they'll just give it to you. Um, <laughs> Because <laughs> they can't charge you for it, so it's really spectacular. I'm loving oh this my place, God. and the food is of a kind that I've never had before. The guy's cutting loose; it's so good. Cantina La Martina, yeah. Wow, Yandre, you gotta come. <laughs> I will. I'm. I've been. I need to come up to Philly. I'm gonna come up to Philly soon, and we should all go. Good. Yeah. Good. Um, and then we'll eat hot so, sauce and. Sometimes I come up to. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I come up to Philly just to get a cheesesteak, but then maybe I'll come up to Philly just to get. Uh, hot Cantina La Martina. Cheesesteaks are that good. I think we have. Right. See now, see now really. you're tripping. Yeah. Now you're tripping. <laughs> see, there's other foods that you can try that. You know, I'm sure that's true. But cheesesteaks, cheese top tier sandwich to me. All right, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> top tier sandwich in my I'm top three boy, sandwiches. Though. I'm a hoagie. I'm a hoagie guy. <laughs> Philly, uh, the, the corner store hoagies. Ah, that's oh, that. so good. Um, do you, Wes? Do you want to use the same plug that you used in the first episode? We could just splice it in here. Sure. Wait, wait, I think you should plug your podcast, though, so, like, tell people where you well, can find that, that podcast. Yeah, I did make a podcast. That was an experiment. That was something that I was paid for by Princeton to produce, um, because that was a grant project that we ran with the Lilly Foundation. So I made a podcast based on an experience that I and a few friends led. It was called The Cultivators Podcast. Um, it's on Spotify, Apple, all those things. It's five episodes. Uh, it's a mini-series. Um, it's one of those highly produced kind of like radio lab, this American lifestyle yeah. things. So it's, it's, it's pretty swift. It was a very meaningful experience. And I do think it captured something special. Um, but that's not, that's not a, a, a sustainable trend. That was a grant project. And boy, I, I wish those kinds of boutique experiences could happen again. But yeah, you know, because I mean, the episode that I listened to, I mean, it reminded me of like, you know, similar retreats that I've taken for fellowships that I've done right. and like just these like, these opportunities to get together with people from different walks of life for five or six mm -hmm. days and just like work through shit, you know, like talk about yeah. something and like exist in the space that's dedicated to this is all that I, I found those experiences to always be magical. Yeah. It's really special. Yeah. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And as always, you can find us at I'm the villain pod. That's our Gmail. It's our Twitter. That's our Instagram. Otherwise, bye.